Greetings from 12 Stone Church. The following message, as delivered by Pastor Kevin Myers, is the third teaching of the 12 Stone 30th Anniversary Series entitled, Live Sent. Please enjoy. So welcome to 12 Stone across the campuses. So glad that you're with us today, including online. Now, if I could teach you one prevailing thought, one defining thought that could sit in your soul and go with you, it's sitting at the top of your teaching notes. So everybody look at your teaching notes. Here's kind of the fill in the blank right off the top. Here it is. While you have been chosen... While you have been chosen, you still have to choose. While you have been chosen, you still have to what? Choose. While you've been chosen, you still have to choose. Let me, let me illustrate. Indianapolis Colts sent out this tweet two, three weeks ago. We are excited to welcome Josh McDaniels, the New England Patriots offensive coordinator who has agreed to terms as our new head coach. Press conference scheduled for Wednesday. So this gets tweeted out. The next day, (laughs) McDaniels informed us. This is their announcement the next day. (laughs) McDaniels informed us this evening that he would not be signing the deal. So we're starting over. (laughs) And immediately you understand why I wrote what I wrote on the board, right? While you have been chosen, you still have to choose. See, you immediately get it. While McDaniels was chosen to be the head coach, he still had to what? Choose. He still had to choose it. It's not done. Just because you, listen, this is true in jobs. But this is also true in relationships. Just because you've been chosen, awesome as that is, still requires that you have to what? Choose. I was a junior in college, and the incoming freshman class had a fundraiser. And this fundraiser was to sell themselves as servants for a day to the upperclassmen. This was a spectacular idea. And this is one of my favorite classic stories. I love this 30th anniversary season when I just get to go back and pull stories out because this is like one of our family's favorite classics. So I'm sitting in the back with a group of upperclassmen and I'm like, hey guys, oh, when they parade another groups across the stage and, 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 and sell them for their fundraiser, I'll find a group, pick a group. And I'm telling you, when Marsha walked on stage with a group of four girls, I'm like, there be the one. It was pure righteous love. That's all, that's all that was going on in my mind. 
I just saw her and I heard the angels. Oh. I'm like, that, that's the, that, that, I, I, guys, I'm going to bid. I'm going to bid on this group. I'm going to buy this group. And then that one's mine. You can divvy up the others. I know, but it really happened. I love not having to make it up. So I bid it up. And I won the bid, and I bought my future wife for 11 bucks. Now, how many guys can say that? I mean, that is spectacular. True story. Now, 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 she had to be my servant for a day, which meant, you know, she'd carry around my books and get me lunch and blah, blah, blah. But, and my family loves to say, and of course, it's cost Dad a lot more ever since, and he's become the servant. But, but that's, that's irregardless. I, the, the part I like to tell is 11 bucks. okay? Let's just stop right there. And then it didn't take me long, and I asked her out on a date. And even though I had chosen her, she still had to what? Choose me. She had to say yes or no. I know what you're thinking. I was too. How could you resist the charms? <laughs> I, so I'll just say it for you. I know you're thinking that. And, and she said yes. And she kept saying yes. And 17 months later, on February 20th of 1982, in Port Huron, Michigan, at the Fog Cutter restaurant, I asked her to marry me. And listen, even though I chose her, she still had to what? Choose me. Is it? Listen, just because you're chosen isn't the end of the story. You still have to choose. That's true in relationships. By the way, that's true in faith and obedience. We both sensed the clear call of God to plant 12 Stone Church 30 years ago. And even though we knew we were chosen, we still had to choose we still had to sell what little we had in Michigan, walk away from our families, come down here and start life over. Paul knew this. Let's go where we, back to where we left off last weekend. Acts chapter 9. Cross campuses, grab your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 9, page 1100. We're in the New Testament. We're in the story of Paul. Acts chapter 9. It's on page 1100 in your worship center Bibles. As you're turning there, we're going to go right back to where we left off. And by the way... If you don't have a Bible of your own, on your way out, stop at guest information. We'd love to give you a Bible as a gift. Get in God's Word. Put your name on it and, and study it. And what's going on here is that the Apostle Paul was previously the Pharisee Saul. He was against Christ. He was against the kingdom of God and Christianity. But then Jesus came along and rescued him. He did what? Rescued him. We've talking about this. And then he transformed him. Say it with me. He did what? Transformed him. And, and then he sent him. And this journey uh, from being rescued to transformed to sent is a process that God wants to take all of us on. He wants to bring you in relationship with God through Jesus. He wants to transform your thinking and your living and then send you out to be about, uh, about the work of the kingdom. Now, this was going on in what you read in Acts chapter 9 where we left off last weekend is that Paul is now uh, on the road to Damascus. He's be, be, being rescued by Jesus. He's become aware that Jesus is God in human flesh. And God uh, uses Ananias to come to, to Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, and explain what's going on. So verse 15. And by the way, this is exactly what we read last week, only we overlooked something. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man, referring to Paul, the apostle, the future apostle Paul, this man is my chosen Stop. I want you to say that word with me. This man is my what? Oh. This man is my chosen instrument. Isn't that powerful? God chose him. This man is my chosen instrument. 
to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. But just because God chose Paul wasn't the end of the story. While he was chosen, Paul still had to choose. In fact, you read on, and by the time you get to verse 20, at once he, Paul, began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. He was chosen, but then he had to choose. In fact, you go several pages to the right over to Acts chapter 20. Let's do that. It was some 25 years later, and you're like, that sounds familiar. Didn't you say that last week? I did. And, and there's something you could have overlooked last week, so I want to go right back to it. Page 1115, Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, Paul says, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim. Now last week we talked about his aim, his purpose that we have before Christ. We have a bigger purpose, a bigger why and a bigger what. But, but what we overlooked is that little word, M-Y, my. So look at verse 24 again. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. In this moment, Paul has demonstrated ownership. Hear me. It's not just that God chose me. It's that I chose to join him. I agreed, and it's mine. Me, mine, this is owned I don't like, oh, hey, good thing God's doing in the kingdom. He doesn't talk at a distance, third person. He, it, I'm in it. It's me. It's mine. This, I've now joined to such a degree that I own it. It's not, a fr- it's not an extension. It's not a sidebar thing. It, 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 it's not a little additive to my life. Oh, you know what? I got my life over here, and then I add a little bit of Jesus in. Like, this is mine. This is me. This is who I am. This is what I do. This, I own this. This is a wonderful thing to be chosen, but you still have to choose. God has called 12 Stone to live sent. We've been chosen. In Northeastern Atlanta territory, we are here by the will of God to live sent in this territory and wherever God puts you on the map. And while he has chosen us, we still have to what? Choose. Because nothing happens unless you choose. And you say, yeah, I'll, I'll be all in. See, we, we have a refined, defined, if not radically clear purpose that God has placed among us. We talked about it last week. I'll put it on the screen. Because of the rescuing hand of Jesus, we pursue personal transformation one life at a time. And transform people. Bless, train, and send. Transform people. Bless, train, and send. Transform people do what? Bless, train, and send. Those are the three things. Let's talk about them one at a time. I'll put it in the format of our teaching here. While you have been chosen by God to be blessed, because it's just the nature of God to bless, you have to choose to bless others. Jot it down, fill it in. You have to choose to what? Bless others. We left off last week with this idea of blessed being a very big word. Go back and listen to the teaching online if you missed it. God is a blessing God. We are a a blessed people and therefore to be a blessing people. Meaning this, we're not a a reservoir of God's blessing where where God blesses and we're like, oh, I'm going to collect all the blessing of God it about me. Oh, no, we're a river of it. God blesses us that we might go into the world and bless others. One of the ways we express that 
is that in this 30th anniversary season, instead of throwing this massive party and, and going to the energy center and, and, and just spending all sorts of dollars that, that could be fun and, and for us, we said, man, this, this season 30th, we just want to go bless others. We want to spend the majority of our resources blessing others. It's what we did at Christmas as part of the 30th. It's what we did this weekend for coaches. The Coaches Leadership Network was part of us saying, you know, here's something we could do. The, the people that pour into our kids, why don't we pour into them? Why don't we pour leadership and blessing and to the people who are pouring into our kids. And we, we invited the community and, and coaches, and we had some like 2,000 coaches, wives, and kids all among us. And Ernie Johnson uh, delivered, and, and Coach Quinn came, and, and John Maxwell delivered. I mean, it was a spectacular experience. You'd have been so proud. If you were here, you're like, oh my goodness, amazing. And in the middle of that blessing that we gave to the community, we took a moment and highlighted Coach of the Year, told his story. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a standing ovation that wouldn't stop. So good was the story that I think you ought to hear it and know what you helped to bring about in this greater Northeastern territory among coaches. Listen to his story. This is so good. It was a very long process. I actually went through a couple, couple different interviews and went through a, a little bit of a waiting process and, and uh, really a lot of praying and making sure that, you know, this was the right decision and the right place to go. I needed someone that was 110% bought in that they were going to allow me to hold them as accountable as anyone else. And then I met Carrera. And when I met him, I, he didn't know, but I knew that that was the right fit, that was the right guy for the job. As coaches, you look at the different jobs that are available, and sometimes you'll apply for some, sometimes you won't, but just depending on what fits. And they're always putting comments by the job, you know, to kind of give you an idea about the job and what type of job it is. And beside the Meadow Creek job, it said, nobody wins there and you won't either. And when I read that, I kind of just chuckled and laughed a little bit and thought, you know what? That sounds like a pretty good challenge. When I came in and met the kids, the great thing was you felt like you had kids that wanted to play, you had kids that wanted to be involved, you really had kids that were seeking the help of a coach. Really, all these student athletes wanted was just some place to call home in a family atmosphere, something that they can depend on. It just started bothering me that I was aware that Meadow Creek gets beat every week. I got this impulse that the problem there is that there's no dads involved. So we started from there and, and just said, okay, what can we do? So we said, okay, number one, we gotta get some calories in them. And I was seeing kids who, you know, had been working out with us for a year and a half, two years, but I wasn't seeing them gain weight. And number two, we need to see what we can do about getting them home because they are missing us. We were at a point where kids weren't staying after school to work out because they didn't have a ride home.
and we now have about a half a dozen people they're on call or signed up for a particular day they give rides thousands and thousands of miles of home deliveries for these boys we have a summer program that brings in some breakfast and lunch for them we try to feed them above and beyond that you know of course everyone wants to get to the touchdown but there are small milestones along the way and there's a lot of hard work that needs to be taken before you get to the, to the touchdown. So that's what I was calculating. He understood that it just wasn't about the wins and losses, it was about how many lives could you change. They increase in the number of student athletes, better attendance at the game, a more structured program, I see progress. He has far exceeded my expectations. It has been that, that lift that Meadow Creek has needed, but also that uh, sustainability that our players have needed. more than just a sport. It was it was kind of a, a way of life. Coach Carrera has been a he's been a blessing for our students. Oh yeah. And that's what this place did. I mean, it erupted and everybody got on their feet and they wouldn't sit down. First, they wouldn't stop clapping so we could move on. And then they wouldn't sit down. So the whole rest of the time, you know, that we're talking, we're after dealing with him and all of us standing up. And then we did something special. See, there were some needs at that school. You saw the name Tommy Scribbins. I'll talk about him in a moment this Uncle Pigskin thing, a group of people that recognized that, that the kids needed family and that the, the, that the student athletes needed rides. I mean, they're single moms, so there's no dads, there's not a family structure, and so there's no way they could get back and forth, and so they couldn't show up for sports or they couldn't get home. And are you getting ready? Because I want you to get ready. This, this right here is get ready. Okay, this is where you do this thing right here. And you go, are you kidding me? Here's what I want you to know. We could have done a lot of things on our 30th anniversary, but here's one of the things we did. See, the, the Gwinnett County couldn't buy a van for them and they needed and nobody else could. And so you stepped up and you bought and handed them a 12-passenger van last night as a gift to the school. Well done, church. I mean, that's just a beautiful thing that we get to do. Isn't that a much more kind of fun 30th anniversary? Just go bless somebody else. I mean, just proud of us, church, proud of you. But, but here's this, listen, here's the story that wasn't told last night. The story behind the story. That there were 12 stoners living sent, like Tommy Scribbins, that nobody talks about, but we're going to. See, Tommy Scribbins is a 12 stoner. And his kid went to Collins Hill High School. And he watched Meadow Creek get beat again and again. And the Spirit of God 
while Tommy was part of a 12-stone small group, sensed God stirring to say, why don't you do something about it? And so he became an empty nester, and he's like, all right, I feel like God's asking me to do this, and they're kicking this around in their small group. And he goes over and figures out, you know what? Uh, they, they need family. They need a sense of family. So we're going to do uncle pigskins, which means we can't replace fathers. But you know what? We can be uncles and we can be there for the games and we can come alongside them and we can be a positive influence on them. So we're going to do uncle pigskins. And while we're at it, we're going to help because they need resources. And by the way, being family means we show up for practice. We show up for the games. I mean, we kind of adopt them and, and then we help resource them and we pay the 500 bucks uh, each guy does that's an uncle in there uh, for the kid to, to play the game. Oh, and, and you know what? They, they need food. And, and so so they, they need food. So, so John and Kathy, let me tell you about John and Kathy. 12 stoners in his small group, recruited the small group to do this stuff. Tom and Kathy is beautiful. They put 40,000 miles on their brand new SUV just last year alone, carting kids back and forth. That's living scent. And, and they, on their own dime, fed 70 kids a week so they would have the calories so when they work out, they build muscle and don't just lose weight so they could play the game. When you see the team winning, it's because because somebody behind the scene blessed them and lived sent to make a difference. Now, don't you want to give it up for that kind of impact in the lives of people? See, that's the difference. You and I, if we would live sent, we would go out in the community and we would cause trouble for good like nobody's business. Oh, those stories don't just happen. Somebody, somebody was living sent all along. We're called to live sent. But listen, just because you have been chosen to live sent isn't going to change anything. You still have to what? Choose. See, you go out every day. You do it for your own family. You say, today, how can I bless my family? And then you go out in the world and you go to where you say, how can I bless someone? You go in the community, how can I bless someone? Wherever God puts you on map, you are on mission. How can I bless someone? And you can't bless everybody, but you can bless somebody. <laughs> Number two, got to move on. While you have been chosen by God to grow in faith, you have to choose to train for a life of intentional growth. You have to choose to train. Say it with me. You have to choose to what? Train for a life of intentional growth. Think about this. Maybe you never thought about it. But think about it with me. Jesus could have showed up. God could have sent him to earth, and he could have showed up as a 30-year-old, right? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why didn't he just show up at 30 years old, save a whole lot of wasted time, <laughs> and just get at it? Let's just get it done. But instead, he goes through the nine-month gestation process, gets born in a natural way, though it's all supernatural in design, and he grows up on earth. In fact, when he was 12 years old, Luke chapter 2 says it this way. And Jesus grew, say it with me, and Jesus what? Grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Listen, sometimes we want to skip the training growing process and get to the result, but that's not God, that's us. See, training and growing is not a waste of time. It's what we were created for. God loves to grow things. <laughs> that's part of his design for us. Don't, don't just, oh, we got to get, in fact, what God's doing among us as a church right now is part of God's design for us. We're going through a growing season where we, from the inside out, are going to reconstruct the training process for us as a people to live sent. I wrote something in my notes. I put it in yours. I want you to listen. 
You don't train. Man, this has just sat in my head for two, three months. You don't train unless you are expecting. Write it down. And in a moment, it'll all make sense. You don't train unless you are what? Expecting. (laughs) My daughter, my only daughter, been married five years, and she's finally doing what she was created to do for me. (laughs) Give me a grandchild. (laughs) She's expecting. And she's due April 30th, for our second grandchild, and this time we get a boy, and we are all excited in the Myers family. This is gonna be spectacular and good fun. But here's what I want you to see. Now that she's expecting, she's all into learning and training on this giving birth process. I mean, she's got a birthing coach, a doula, whatever, God bless you, just call me when we have a boy. Here's what I've noticed. All the training for birthing has been available her whole life and she never cared until she was expecting. The turn's about to happen. (laughs) Ready? If you're not expecting to bring any new life into the kingdom of God, we can offer all the training in the world and you won't show up if you're not expecting God to use you to change someone's life. Listen, God created you, designed you to be in relationship with him, to be rescued and transformed and sent. And he put you on map, on mission to reach people. But if you're not expecting to lead anyone to Christ, if you're not expecting to see them born into the kingdom of God, if you're not expecting God to use you, we can offer all the training in the world and you'll never show up because you don't care because you have no expectation. But the moment you begin to expect, say, oh, I'm expecting God to use me. Listen, you'll, you'll demand the training. You, you'll say, where is the training? <laughs> I'm expecting God to use me to be a part of changing somebody's life. See, Paul was all into training. We read in Acts chapter 9. And if you read just a little bit further after verse 20 into 21 and 22, it says, and Paul grew more and more powerful. It says he grew more and more powerful. But what you don't know is that that section of four or five verses actually covers three years of time. You wouldn't know that unless you study Galatians chapter one, where actually he went to Damascus and began to preach right after this moment of being rescued. But then he went to Arabia, which most believe was into the desert territory. And there was a three-year period between there and coming back to Damascus before he ever went and met the other apostles. Apostles. Many scholars believing that that was the training season almost parallel to the disciples having three years with Jesus. Paul believed in training. In fact, it's what he said to Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'll put it on the screen for you. All scripture is God-breathed. That's going to be an important thought. All scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and oh, there it is. And what? Training in righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God breathes into things. And you need to know what God breathes into but that, because that gives it life. You need to be a student of trained in righteousness. What is right, what is good, what is holy, what is big, important, what matters most, what counts. You got to train in it. <laughs> 
That's why we, we do this every week, and we do this in small group. In fact, I wrote it this way in my notes. I didn't put this in your notes, but you might want to jot it down. Whatever God breathes into counts most. Whatever God breathes into counts most. If you'll let me do something that could be just a little bit hokey, <laughs> let me do it anyway. This is how my brain works. I got a balloon here, and this is sometimes how I think of it. God breathes into things that the world sees as small. Just go with me. Just live with it. And God breathes into something. And he says, now this is true. And this is right. And this is sacred. And this is wise. And this will give you life. And whenever God breathes into something, he takes something that seems small to us and we realize how large it is. You have to train to know what is righteousness. But then we live in a world that takes the air out of things. One example, when God gives you the gift of being a mom, it is sacred. Being a mother is sacred. It is holy. It's a really big deal to God. And how you raise your kids and point them to God and teach them to walk with God and love God, to understand what is good and right in this world matters greatly. Just let me finish. But on the whole, in this culture, they tend to take the air out of the sacredness of being a mom and make it less and less, like it's not a worthy career, like it's not worthy of celebration, like it's not that big of a deal, like it doesn't really count, like that isn't important enough to be identified by. And by the time the world gets done talking about it, they've made it really small. And if you don't train in righteousness, you won't know what's big and what's little. I'm not talking about whether you work inside or outside the home. That's not the conversation. The conversation is God breathed life into being a mom and made it sacred. And you have to train in righteousness to know what a really big deal something is. And the world has been taking the air out of things that God breathes into for years, including marriage, divorce, family, parenting, gender, Money, sex, forgiveness, bitterness, on and on it goes. You have to train in righteousness to know what is truly right and what to breathe life into. Because ultimately, whatever God breathes into counts most. Whatever God breathes into counts what? Most. By the way, the next series we're going to do... Starting next week, month of March, we're going to talk about what, what counts most. Pull Up a Chair is going to be a series where for four weeks we address four core lessons. They are, it's really training in what matters most. It's going to be four things that make you or break you in life. I wouldn't miss anything in the next four weeks. This is part of what we do together. We train 
for a life of intentional growth because that's what God blesses. It's the better life. Number three, got to move on. While you have been chosen by God to live sent, you have to choose to go into your world and serve. You have to choose to go into whose world? Your world and serve. Or I put it this way in your notes. Right there, you see it on the screen. It's right there next to your film link. God's answer for the people near you and far from him is you. Tell your neighbor right now, just point to him and say, it's you. Do it nicely, but it's you. Tell them, it's you, it's you. See, God's answer, the world's filled with people who are far from God, but the ones who are near you is your world. When Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel, go into the world and expect to see lives change. Go into the world and witness for me. Go into the world and be salt and light. Go into the world and bless others. Go into the world and speak the name of Jesus. Go into the world and be the kingdom of God to the world around you. You have been sent. It, when he said go into the world, he means you go into your world. No individual one person is going to change the world, but you go impact your world and the kingdom of God comes through you in that space, in that place. In fact, you've been chosen. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's what, church? Ambassadors. Say it again. We are therefore Christ's what? Ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. How does God reach people who are far from him but near us? He makes his appeal through us, through us, through us. Do you know what a difference it makes? You say, well, you know what? I, I believe I should start expecting God to use me to make his appeal. Therefore, I think I'm going to need some training. <laughs> hey, where is that training? Don't, aren't you guys supposed to be providing some training here? I mean, I, I got some stuff I'm expecting God to do. Glad you asked. <laughs> yes. Yes, because you're ambassadors. You've been sent. You're partners with God. You're on map, on mission. Do you understand why this is such a large vision? Listen, do you understand that if 20, 30,000 people got trained over the next two, four, five years, if we gathered on our 35th anniversary and in gathering, we, we had 20,000 of us who were trained in living sin. Listen, that means there's at least 10 people in your world that are near you and far from God. The reason this vision is huge is because that's 200 to 300,000 people. Do you get it? Do you get it? Do you see how God works? It's a huge vision because when you go into your world and we all go into the world God has placed us, we begin to change the world. It's huge because wherever God's put you on map, he's put you on mission. It's why over the last couple of weeks, we've had these maps in each of the eight campuses. We've been taking the little dots and writing our name or our initials and placing them where we live and kind of demonstrating, illustrating the place where God has us on the map. Our kids have been signing these letters. Each campus had a letter like a V and one campus is signing a V and all the kids are saying, oh, this is where God has me on. What does it look like though when you bring it all together? Glad you asked because this is a video I want you to see. Check it out. What do you do when you have a 30th anniversary, you do three sacred things. You remember, you rejoice, and you re-up. We are here to join Jesus in rescuing those who are near us but far from God. That's why we are here.
rejoice when God rescues. How good is our God? And that's why we re-up, we re-up for what God wants to do next. The future home of the Bethlehem campus is on the very land that we place at. What does it look like if four campuses, really one church in many locations, comes together? The map gets large. We're placed all over territory. And then wherever God has you in business and wherever God has you in relationship and wherever God opens the doors to you, wherever he puts you at any moment in time, you live sent. But then we're so fired up because we have finally found the land. We've secured the land for our fifth campus in Bethlehem to have their future permanent home. We are fired up about that. And Bethlehem is going out of their minds today so that we can go out in that territory. So yes, we're going to finish Buford construction and building and open it this fall. And then together as a church, we're going to unite and go after this project effort out in the the, the Barrow County territory. Why? Because together we live sent. Because we expect to be a part of seeing God birth new life into the kingdom. Wow, what we get to do. I was talking with Kevin Monahan, one of the many great pastors that are on staff here, and he said something that was just brilliant. I wrote it down, asked for permission. Here's what he said. Religion with God. He was talking about his daughter, his nine-year-old daughter. Religion with God is my nine-year-old daughter in church thinking about how she can win her soccer game. But a relationship with God is my nine-year-old daughter at soccer thinking about how she can win others to Jesus. And that's for all of us. What are you thinking about when you come gather in? What are you thinking about when you get out there? Live sent redefines all of life. And so God has us here and he's stirring in this series and I know it and so do you. He's awakening things in us, in you. You are very aware that you should join the expectation that you are God's answer to reaching people near you who are far from God. And you have an awareness that this culture has intimidated you into silence. And God is inviting you into the training to figure out how to shrewdly but passionately be a witness for Christ. And that's why the pioneers is the next stage for many of you, meaning this, we're gonna pioneer 
a first group in the next two to three months of training. In fact, listen, I want everybody to grab their phone. If you got a mobile phone, some of you use it for scripture and you're already on it. Some of you are, use it to take notes. Some of you were texting. You think I don't know. But I want you to pull it out and put 12stone.com, 12stone.com slash pioneer. Everybody put that into your phone right now if you would and pull it up. When you do, it says become a pioneer. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's what I'm talking about. In the next two to three months, we're going to pioneer this effort, meaning we're going to go work on the, 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 the construction of the training material for, for how to be a witness and several things that go with that and how to help us live sent. Now, we're going to test it out in the next two to three months. Then into the fall, we're going to launch Cause Trouble. And when we, when we do that launch, we're, we're going to launch along with it Scent Life groups. In other words, how you live Scent, we're going to be small groups. And all the material that becomes part of the, the, the live Scent small groups are going to come from what we pioneer. Now, not everybody is going to join the pioneers, not for, but, but some of you men, you know you're supposed to. Women, you know you're supposed to. Couples, you know this is you. So go to the bottom of it right now, and it says name. Jesus, put in. All right, yeah, I'm putting my name. Kevin Myers. Put my email address. Put my mobile phone. Push submit and say, all right, this is it. If God's stirring in you and you know you ought to be a part of the pioneer, jump in, do it, get it done now. And while you're doing that, if some of you are saying, man, PK, how did this training get in you in the early days? I can tell you a book called Lifestyle Evangelism by Joe Aldrich was almost a training manual for us as a church when we started 12 Stone. You don't have to write it down. I put it at the bottom of your teaching notes. Maybe God will use that. Maybe you need to go tap into that. But we have the best days ahead of us. Because God is calling us to the thing we've been chosen for. But listen, while you have been chosen, you still have to what? Choose. So as I turn the service over to the campus pastors, we want to pray a prayer over us as we choose to say, yes, God, send me. To acknowledge that while we've been chosen to live sent, we got to live sent. And two questions I put in your notes. What does God want me to train in? To whom is God sending me? So bow your heads, let me pray for us. Father, what an absolute joy. Just what a joy of what we get to do together. I know there are some among us who haven't yet made decision to follow you and you're graciously drawing them and they're spiritually unresolved. We're so grateful to be in any way of service to them. And we pray for them. If you're among them, we're praying for you that you would come to know Jesus and you would be rescued. And for all of us who know you, Lord, we give you thanks. We are so privileged to be your sons and daughters. And, and as you bless us, God, would you make us a blessing to the world around us? This whole Uncle Pigskin example is just, is just stirring in us, God. Make me a river of blessing to the world around me. Let it start at home and let it be obvious in this church and let it carry out into the community. God, we need training. And some of us right now are making decisions to be pioneers. It's a big deal. Everybody's not going to do it. But there's some of us, God, we have to. We got to get in on it now. We can't let time pass. Some of us got to pick up that book, Lifestyle Evangelism. And even though it's old, it's, it's, it, it, it's still timeless. We got to learn how to be these people. We got to spend time in training and learning. And we got to expect what you're going to do. And we settle that before you. And we say, God, I want to be in the expecting group. Right now, some of us are just saying back to you, God, I want to be in the expecting group. In fact, right now, God, I pray that you would seal something. When we own it like Paul did, it means this isn't somebody else's church. It's ours. This is our campus. This is our service. We own it. 
We don't come in as a customer at 11 o'clock whenever we feel like it. We, we come here at 11 o'clock. This is our service, and, and we own this thing. We care about this. We serve in this. We greet one another. We come to worship. We come expectantly. We invite people in. We want to make sure that all that you desire in this experience, I mean, this is ours to build, ours to grow, ours to own, ours to serve. God, would you make us owners of your kingdom? That's what you created us for. And across this campus in this season, would you seal this transforming work where we figure out how to bless, train, and send, and we get the better life for it. Do this in and through us, I pray in Christ's name, and everyone agreed saying, amen.